Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. Every week, we talk to filmmakers, adventure junkies, writers, musicians, vagabonds, people that veer off the beaten path. We dig into topics like how to execute ambitious projects, overcome extreme obstacles, and find the things that drive you. Find your true north. Hey, everyone. It's been a long time, and this episode is over a year in the making. I started this podcast at the beginning of 2015, and it has been on hiatus for well over six months. For that, I apologize. This is a project that I'm truly passionate about, and I'm doing all that I can to be consistent with weekly, or at least bi-weekly releases from this point on, and to take it up a notch and make the show better than ever. To start, I'm adding a takeaway section to the website, and possibly to the end of each episode. I want you to be able to pull out the information that matters to you and apply it to your life as easily as possible. So make sure to check that out at odysseyandmuse.com. In short, we are back. And today we have a great guest and a longtime friend of mine. I'm talking about the filmmaker Marquette Jones. Marquette is from Youngstown, Ohio, not far from where I grew up. And she's an alumna of NYU's graduate film program. Before becoming a filmmaker, Marquette was a public interest attorney in Oakland, California. Her work includes her most recent film, Forgiving Chris Brown, along with Round on Both Sides, Tunk, Heroes Wanted, and Streets to Sweets. She's also produced many other projects from short films to commercials and PSAs for the Women in Film program. When she's not busy writing, producing, or directing, Marquette indulges in her obsession with color through her ever-growing nail polish collection. In this conversation, we get into everything. When it comes to filmmaking, we learn her thoughts on grad school, the good and the bad, her strategies for submitting to film festivals, they are detailed, how she writes, directs, and staffs up for her films, some writing advice she received from Spike Lee himself. We talk about her winding path from a law degree to creative career, and even learn about her desire to read minds as a child. There's a ton of valuable information, and Marquette is a joy to listen to. I hope you enjoy. So here goes. All right, welcome to the show, Marquette. How you been doing? I'm good. How are you, John? Doing great. Uh, how's it going over in L.A. right now? It's- I can hear some birds chirping. Yes, it's, you know, typical, wonderful weather. And I'm sitting in my apartment like, oh, I have to get out and do something. (laughs) I I feel like I kind of ask the weather question on every show because apparently my family is obsessed with the weather. My dad Mm -hmm. is a big weather channel guy. It's mid 80s. It's mid 80s right now in LA and there's no wind and there are no clouds. So that is something I miss for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we start? I, ha- I have a ton of questions kind of ranging from directing and writing and producing and all the amazing filmmaking things you do. But let's start with where our connection began with your NYU thesis film, mm-hmm. Round on Both Sides. Can you just talk a little bit about how that project came about? Maybe what the what the process is for an NYU thesis project mm-hmm. and just, yeah. So, um, NYU is a little bit different in that every student is given the opportunity to make their thesis project. Um, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but everyone kind of gets the same amount of equipment options and financing and that kind of stuff from the school. So if you take advantage of that, um, things have changed a little bit since I graduated because I think they were allowing people to do features. Whereas right before or right after I finished, that's when that changed, unfortunately. But um, 
so you basically make a short film, a short project. It could be narrative or documentary. Um, so that's, that's pretty much how they, how they do that. And they give you the equipment and technically, you know, your classmates are supposed to work on your project for free and, um, technically, technically, uh, (laughs) some of the better ones you have to persuade with a little bit of money or perks or something. Uh, they, you don't even have to be that good to think somebody's <laughs> supposed to pay you. You're just like, well, yeah, I'm a poor person living in New yes, York. <laughs> exactly. And then for me, because I shot in Ohio, um, a lot of people weren't able to travel. Uh, um, yeah. So I um, had to kind of do some advertising to f- fill in gaps in the crew. Um, and that's how I met you. Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad we ended up meeting. It's kind of funny that you had to come home. <laughs> anyway... Did you have to do any other additional financing for the film, or is that like part oh, of yeah. part of your is no. it part of your tuition that went towards paying for it as well? How's that um, work? There, you don't get enough money to finance your movie. You don't even get mm-hmm. enough money to finance your credits. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you you do what you have to do in order to make that happen. Um, for in this it's really funny because right after I shot the film like the whole entire world changed so the market crashed on Wall Street yeah. the Kickstarter started and really got going so we were able to raise money online so for me I, it was all sweat equity like working overtime saving money applying for grants uh, fish fry <laughs> <laughs> that's clever I like that idea anything you could think of to, to gather yeah. some money and so I sent out like, you know, like letters to every person in my family, like this is what I'm doing and you know, reached out to business owners in Ohio. Like it was like I every which way I could find money, that's what I was doing. That's great. But do do you think that kind of forcing you to go out and raise some of the funds helped you long term uh, as a producer putting together yes. money for other projects? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of effort, but the thing is that not only are you raising money, but you're raising awareness about your project. Yeah. And that really helps, you know, because people want to support you if they know what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, like I can go home. I'm, I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio. And so I can go home at any point and still connect with the people that I met through that process of fundraising and shooting, um, in the town. Yeah, so just just putting together that film creates kind of a little network of its own, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the idea for this film, and what what made you decide to shoot it in Youngstown? Was it just you know the idea happened, and you were like, well, this takes place there, or was that a conscious decision beforehand? I was really sentimental um, about you know being from Youngstown, Ohio, and I just felt like it was a different. Like the aesthetic was very different from anything I was seeing from my classmates and just from film shot in New York or in Brooklyn or whatever. Um, And I really wanted to kind of share that. Like, I feel like there's a poetry to that landscape and to like the sort of, you know, there's like people doing great things, but then there's also all this decay from, you know, years of people not taking care of certain parts of the city. So all of that kind of combined together to give a really interesting look for the film. And I just 
I think that the people that I know in that town are characters and know themselves like <laughs> natural born performers. Uh-huh. Like, like, Oh, you turned the camera on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how many, like, how many local <laughs> actors did you use or non-actors even? Um, my two, my leads were mostly from, not from Ohio. And mm-hmm. then everyone else you see is local. Oh, wow. So That's one of cool. the characters, um, Charmaine Williams, she was, I've met her like on market street. So just walking down the street, handing out flyers, like I'm shooting a movie here and I'm <laughs> and I like, I like your face. You should come. So this is market street in Youngstown, Ohio, right? When you were yes. Just, as you were scouting yeah. for the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. And so, for, so we met like a lot of people there. So the, there's a card party scene there's like a table full of like not elderly but you know 50-ish people yeah and they are all locals and they were fantastic and it just so there was just a lot of local flavor that I wanted to include in, in the process can you give just a brief plot summary of it for anyone that's interested it's a family drama. It's about a woman who um, have, is coming home to reclaim her child that she had left in the care of her mother, only to find out that the girl's not with her mother anymore. And so she kind of has to run around town to figure out who has her kid and why. And um, she has to like face some of her own demons in that process. Yeah. I thought it was a great little film, especially... Not, not little isn't bad, but just, you know, a short film. A little and short. <laughs> I don't want that to come off as condescending. It's all good. Listen, I have been called little many times, which is odd because I'm 5'8". I'm like, really? Okay. I'll be your little girl. Sure. <laughs> Maybe this can transition. I, I remember working on set with you. And this this was shortly after I graduated with a, just an undergrad in film production. And I think it might have been the first project that I really worked on outside of school. Mm-hmm. And I remember being nervous as hell because I was first ACing on this. And you think, did a great job. <laughs> thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I didn't know no extreme dis- disasters. Mm-mm. But uh, I remember watching you and just see, you seemed extremely calm and in control. But I think I remember talking like later on that you said you were just like stressed out of your mind and it was kind of crazy do you do you do you know how you managed to keep calm in front of everybody or or how how were you feeling inside during that the actual production the shooting first of all thank you um <laughs> thank you for noticing that I was calm and thank you for being a part of our set I thought that I'm gonna get to the question but I I, I really um thought that your participation like you have such a positive energy like people just come around you and be like hey john <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> yes he could be on any set that i'm ever on you need people <laughs> like that like somebody that just everybody likes yeah personalities definitely matters on set seriously seriously <laughs> um but for me i i don't i mean i'm just calm under pressure inside yeah. i'm going crazy pretty much all the time, like calculating like five, six, seven, ten 10 steps down the line all the time. But on the outside, it's like, well, in this moment, do I really need to show how freaked out I am that my, you know, for example, on that shoot, we had a sound guy, he decided to quit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like on the first day, he was like, I'm not coming back. And I'm like, we have no sound person. <laughs> like, I don't, like what do we do? <laughs> what do, we do? Ah, okay. And then I had like this great idea. It's like, I'll just do the sound myself. I was a sound, you know, recordist in uh-huh. school. That didn't work. 
<laughs> like I could direct and record sound, no problem. I didn't work at all. Like all of my sound knowledge literally like <laughs> ran away from me. Like I was looking at all the knobs. Like I don't, I can't. I just don't know. Yeah, it might have just been like mental overload at that point. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of, I was definitely stressed, mm. but I just think that when you're when you're directing, like you exhibiting that stress for your team does not help your team. Yeah, definitely. They need to feel like somebody knows where we're going, you know, as a group. And so that's just part of your job as a director on a thing. Do you think that staffing up is a big part of protecting against kind of, <laughs> I guess, your own stress, being able to rely on other people to, to make some yeah. of the decisions that need to be made outside of your realm, your immediate focus, I guess? Well, I think, yes, I definitely think that's true. I think you should as much as possible, only hire people that you feel like you don't have to watch. Yeah. You know, for the most part, that's how I try to move. And I will not, and I'm like, I'll just not have that that position if I can't find somebody that I really know I don't have to watch them. Yeah, you would just not rather have them on set. <laughs> yeah, like at all, because I, my personality, I'm going to be watching everything they do. Yeah. And that's not what I need to be doing. I need to be watching my actors and, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So that's my recommendation. Like, if you can't turn your back on them, they don't need to be there. And I don't care what position it is. It could be the script, you know, script supervisor. It could be a PA. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I even remember once I left the extra film mags a little bit behind where we were shooting. And you were like, John Jerko, what, <laughs> is this film all right back here? <laughs> so you were you were watching you just I can't help yourself remember that. <laughs> i didn't forget i was like oh yeah you know i'll move it closer don't worry about it <laughs> and we were shooting film too yeah, which was that's again kind of like crazy right thing. before right before the revolution happened how much going back going back to budgeting a little bit how do you remember mm -hmm. how much of your budget was the film um i think i had gotten a grant for film for the film okay that helps so it just covered the actual the film part of yeah and that was the trick right and they yeah. were like yeah we'll give you film and then i think it was like processing but then there were like two or three more steps to the processing that uh -huh. wasn't covered <laughs> like converting it to something digital so you could edit it that wasn't covered yeah <laughs> I was like oh i feel like that oh. holds up a lot of those projects too you're like oh it's we shot it like two years ago what's going on <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well they're trying to raise the money to finish it <laughs> exactly but you know the thing is that you learn you know you learn as you go with these mm -hmm. things like i'm really happy that i got to shoot film even though you know the budget was like at in in today's world astronomical yeah um i think i ended up spending like forty-five thousand. Oh wow which is i know it's absurd that's pretty amazing but and now I'm like, I don't know how I did that. Like, I don't know where, how, how it all came together. I don't know where that money came from. I don't know where the money went. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just all a blur now. Huh? It really, I mean, if I, if I needed to, I have a yeah, bunch of documents, could, could but like, just to talk about it, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I rented a couple of cars. Like I hardly paid people if I paid people at all to yeah. some people, but yeah, yeah like, Wow. so so but now like to spend that much money like what 
you're crazy. Like, and you didn't shoot a feature? Like, that's absurd. I want to jump ahead and eventually talk to, or I don't want to jump ahead now, but I eventually want to get to Forgiving Chris Brown, your more recent project. But Mm -hmm. can you compare the budget between the two? Because they're they're roughly this, well, I don't know. What was the final length of Forgiving Chris Brown? Forgiving Chris Brown is 12 minutes. Okay, so it's actually a little bit shorter, right? Mm-hmm. Around on both sides. What was, uh, what was the do difference? you want to talk about the budget part of that now? Because I, I t- <laughs> well, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell you, it was like around like between ten and twenty percent of what I oh, paid for okay. around on both sides. Wow, so definitely a, a major drop. Major drop. Yeah. But again, you learn, right? Like mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not paying for lights. I'm not paying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I'm going to shoot this whole thing in two days. And I think for round on both sides, we were in Ohio for 11 days. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize it was that long. <laughs> yeah. This one, I'm like, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not about to do this whole big, long fundraising process for this project because I want to save that energy for the feature whenever that happens. Yeah. And so this was just like, what can I do quickly and well? Makes sense couple more questions about Around on Both Sides, and then I kind of want to go back to your the early days and how you got into this whole filmmaking thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of people, again, do you, do you normally have like a someone that's your confidant on set that you can kind of go to and when you're really stressed out and be like, I need to figure this out. I'm kind of <laughs> on the edge of, you know, losing it here. Or do you normally have anyone mm-hmm. on set that you can talk with or i mean do you plan that or does it just happen technically that person should be your assistant director yeah does it vary for you ever it does it varies because i mean mostly i want to say no the answer to your question ultimately is no i don't have that person usually like okay because even if it's your like for me, like even my AD, like I still want them to have confidence that this is going to all work out. Yeah. And I I still want them to be like, you know, drill sergeant, a nice drill sergeant, but I still want them to stay focused on what they're supposed to be doing, which is keeping us on track and, you know, schedule wise. So I don't, and I just try to keep as much of that to myself. It's really funny because for me, I always, Whenever I shoot, like, it's a great experience, but it's super lonely yeah. for me. And I, I see, like, people, like, hooking up in the corners and, like, <laughs> <laughs> taking selfies and all these things. I'm like, oh, I want to play, but I can't play. Your mind's play. always go. focused yeah. on the project. I got to go, set, you know, set up the next shot while you guys make grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, though. So you, you kind of hold a lot of that stuff in just so you don't affect the crew negatively. And then on top of that, you're always just focused on planning the next thing. Mm-hmm. But I would love to have that person. I mean, that they just don't exist. You could just hire me to do that, you know? <laughs> I, John, I told you, you will always have a job. I mean, as soon as I can figure out how to pay people, you will have a job. Uh, if I was closer, I would help you more often. Right now, I'm back in Ohio. But that'll change eventually. But yeah, that's a great question. Like no one's ever asked that before. So let's let's go back to your early life back in Youngstown. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you were growing up, did you ever have the desire to be a filmmaker, or were you kind of into creative arts in any way? I mean, was this mm-hmm. was this somewhere in the background, kind of boiling towards 
your current career? Mm, no. In my early years, I my goal was to become a mind reader. A mind reader. <laughs> I like that. You can kind of do anything if you can mind read, right? <laughs> exactly. It was absurd, man. But it, but I was so serious about it. My grandmother like got me a subscription to Psychology Today. Like she was like, I don't know if you can read minds, but maybe this will help you understand them better. <laughs> <laughs> What do you know what your goal was or why you wanted to read minds or no that all came clue. About? No clue. You're just that really into it, it huh? Mm-hmm. But I, I just I think I just wanted to know where people were coming from with the things that they were doing. Like I was always a very watchful kid. Like just yeah. like watching everybody in the room, like just because. Um and a and a really avid reader and a really avid watcher of Cinemax just to go ahead and date myself. <laughs> Do you remember Cinemax that? Cinemax days, very glee. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> I used to watch like all the movies from that time period, which I won't tell you what that is because I don't have to date myself <laughs> that much. But like I, and that and MTV constantly, like I never left the house. Like even though I grew up in the Midwest, like I don't like snow. I never have. So uh-huh. all winter I was like, I'm just going to be right here <laughs> with the remote. Um, so you were really just absorbing tons of content at that time. Yeah. And watching yeah. people. Did you, did you write at all? Did you journal Mm-mm. or anything? Uh, journaling? Yes. Um, and I, and I tried to write poetry, which was yeah. really bad, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then by high school, I was taking like a couple of creative writing classes, but yeah. not, I, I didn't really like, it was weird because in my family, I think we have a lot of creative people in my family, but there mm-hmm. was always a push to, but you need to get a job. Yeah. So you can be creative, but. Yeah. I think that's pretty normal in, you know, American uh, households. Parents are like, Oh, you, yeah, you, you need to go to school and get a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> get out of the house, support yourself, have a family. So, you know? For me, like I would take an art class and do really well. And then my mom would be like, Nope you can't take another one go you know go take a don't get too into this creative stuff yeah (laughs) that happened several times when i think about it but um but yeah so it was kind of like a stop start with the whole where you know are you being creative or where's your creativity flowing towards but no in a way like it's cool because i ultimately like i went to law school and definitely realized like that wasn't for me yeah what what made you decide to go to law school to begin with just the whole idea that you had to get a job and it mm-hmm. kind of seemed interesting at the time or it didn't seem interesting at the time <laughs> would it seem like i mean like i'm a little embarrassed to say but i just remember people being like you like to argue you should go to law school <laughs> <laughs> uh... i do not like to argue anymore i just want to so say for the record, like I'm a very peaceful I don't think I, I don't think I've ever heard you argue. So yeah, that's see, that this is what I'm strange. saying. <laughs> I don't, and I'm not that person. But if I had to get into an argument, I would just want you to know that I'm probably gonna try to win the argument. Yeah, so. yeah. You'll, you'll tear tear the person apart. <laughs> so don't even try is what you're saying. Yeah, no. <laughs> so that's how I ended up there, you know, like took the LSAT and and did pretty well and 
And then the next thing you know, it was like, well, now that you're here, you might as well finish. I'm like, oh, I don't like it. So I was at that point, I started taking classes outside of the program. So to start to cultivate some of the, you know, creative interests. Yeah. So you like while you were at law school, you kind of started having ideas like this isn't really what I want to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to start kind of exploring other things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like like actual painting classes and screenwriting classes and uh web design and when did you get the idea to go back to school for film i mean did you graduate law school and then go work for a while or Mm -hmm. when did the transition come i um worked i did work for a while after law school and i had this really great job with this really great group of people it was like a nonprofit, like legal services agency in Oakland. It's called the East Bay Law Center. I love them still. But anyway, I was working with them and they were super supportive of, of their teams and, you know, did a lot of like career development with people. And mm-hmm. I just kind of looked around and I was like, there is not a single person whose career path that I want in this <laughs> building. That's <laughs> a big realization. <laughs> Isn't it? Like it really was. I was just like, And I mean, I was with some fantastic people, like really smart, really, you know, whatever community they were working with, they were really passionate about it. And, and like not a single person that was, I like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Wow. And that's when I knew I had to go. It's good that you realize that because I feel like a lot of people might, you know, notice that and then they just kind of bury it and continue on with what society tells them to do. (laughs) Well, the thing is that, like, society has a point. <laughs> yeah, well, it might. <laughs> you know, like, I remember when I when I had to announce that I was leaving and why. They were, everyone was happy for me. And but then, like, a few people would, like, ask me questions, like, how are you going to pay for it? Or, <laughs> you know, like, like, real practical questions, being the lawyers that they are. And I yeah. was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, just cash me out my vacation. That'll cover, like, a little bit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how, how much is this going to cost? I don't know. Yeah, that, but that's the thing. Like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think about that part of it. I just literally thought that that's what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. What, what was the exact moment when you decided filmmaking as opposed to, to the other arts? What, what made your decision there? Great question again. I... I had applied to art school, like actual, you know, paying on some canvas kind of yeah, art school. Yeah. And um, I was accepted at Pratt, which is in New York as well. And then, I, but I didn't, the feeling that I was looking for, I didn't have, even though I like got in, right? Like I should have been ecstatic, but I was like, hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yes. Like just a little bit of a question mark. And so I, but I was happy, I mean, on one level, I was happy that I was accepted because, you know, up until that point, like I hadn't put myself on the line, like my creativity on the line. Like no one had really seen any of my work. I kept it kind of like stashed away. Yeah. So that was encouraging. But then as soon as they said, yes, I started looking in their catalog for what other programs they had that I could transfer to. And I was like, that that's. There's nothing probably. there. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably, you know, that's probably a sign that this is, yeah. And so I, I deferred for a year and applied to film school. 
And basically I had decided if I get into film school, I'm going to do that. If I don't get into film school, I'm going to go ahead and do this program. How many film schools did you apply to? Do you remember? I do. Um, the answer is one. <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> because Spike Lee. <laughs> ah, yeah. I'd like to get some Spike Lee too eventually. <laughs> so was he actually a, a teacher there, a lecturer? He was. Um, he was, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't even think I knew that. I just knew that he went there for okay. school. Yeah. And so... Like if he head. went there, then exactly. that's where I need to go. <laughs> exactly. Like, it was real simple. Probably too simple. And I knew that it was a long shot, but I also felt like if you're going to go to film school, if you're going to go back to school, period, and if you're going to go to film school, you might as well try for the thing that you really want. Yeah, that makes sense. What What was the experience when you first got there and started taking classes and, and kind of getting to the whole, into the whole uh, process of, Film school. Do you have any realizations or were you excited? Um, I was excited at first. Um, it's like it was like a dream come true at first. Um, but it's funny because even though it was a dream come true, it also I didn't realize how fortunate I was to be in that position. Yeah. Um, probably until like after the fact, right? Like it was really, it was a really hard transition because I had moved across the country by myself and I had switched careers and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to make it all work financially. And I wasn't confident at that point in my creative self, even though, I mean, top, you know, film school just accepted me like I should have been, but I wasn't. Yeah. So it was like all these things that I had to figure out. And it was, so it was very murky time for me and I was in there like their diversity just was non-existent oh really (laughs) (laughs) so I was like the only black woman in my class there was one black guy and we were like looking at each other across the room like what's up (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty funny like (laughs) you know like just so it was, a, it was a lot of culture shock in a lot of different ways. Yeah, plus the, just the adjustment of living in New York City, which is exactly kind of a totally different experience too. <laughs> From Ohio or at Los Angeles or the Bay, like yeah. it's a whole nother world. Yeah. Um, but I got used to it. I got, caught the hang of it, and I love New York. Like, I'm really, really happy that I was able to um, have that experience and um, grow as an artist there. I'm sure there's a million things we could dig into, but what what are kind of the the key things that you feel like you gain from your NYU experience? And is it anything that you think you would not have been able to get if you just tried to go out on your own and and do it do it by yourself? The thing about going to film school, any film school, I think, is the community mm-hmm. um, that you become part of. And the experimentation that you get to try yourself, but then the experimentation that you get to see in your classmates as well. Like, so we're all trying out new shit and trying, excuse me, sorry. Oh, you're allowed to swear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, new new stuff. It's encouraged. (laughs) So we're all, you know, and, and so we're learning at a really fast pace from each other. So that I don't think you can get on your own. I mean, you will learn things on your own for sure. And then I know people like to watch YouTube videos for everything, but, (laughs) but that part of it for me was completely invaluable. Like my, I, 
I don't necessarily agree with everything, every story that all of my classmates tell, but I am fully, fully confident in their brilliance, every single one of them. Yeah. And that is like the big value of it. Like, you know, cause so I can kind of look and be like, huh, why'd they do that? And then there's a reason or like, so that sort that part of it was fantastic. Yeah. And that's something unique to being in that, that format, that learning format. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, but I do think that there are people who, you know, I don't think that's the only way that you can become a filmmaker. Do you think if you had to do it over again, you would still go that same route? I would still do that format, but I would have, I would have done that experience, experience differently. Yeah. Like I, when I, I got thrown into that, you know, coming from a completely different type of background, you know, with law and all that, which is all very cut and dry and follow the rules and what are the rules and blah, blah, blah. Did that make you, do you think you followed the rules too much? <laughs> yes. That's where I'm going with it. Uh, sorry. I cut you. Cut you no, it's all good. Uh, cut to the chase. I would go there and I would use that equipment every freaking chance I got. And I would be making things on top of the things that they were asking for. And I would not wait to start my career, my professional career, um, after the fact. Yeah. I would go in with a full understanding that this is just no offense. Love you NYU. But I'm like, this is an equipment house. And that's what I'm going to use you for. And every one of those professors would have had to be like, I'm going to introduce you to my so-and-so out in LA or wherever. Yeah. 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 So it'd be, you'd take full use of the gear and the, the community and the network are probably the two. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that's something that I just didn't know. Like I, when I moved out to, I'm jumping ahead, but when I moved out to Los Angeles, people were like, Oh, you went to film school. That's cute. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Like there was no, no cachet associated yeah. with film school period or the particular film school that I went to. And it still was start at the bottom. So, so is it almost looked at as just like, well, you graduated high school. Good, good job. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Oh. Unless you're hot, like unless somehow the the product that you made went to Sundance mm-hmm. or won an Oscar or something like that, in which case, and all the doors open. But the doors are opening, not because of NYU, but because of the product Yeah. that you've made. And so that's why I'm saying, like, if I had to do all over again, I would be making stuff way more than what the curriculum required. I, th- I think you mentioned this before to me when we were talking once, but what what was the the sense that you got after you completed your thesis film round on both sides and kind of got it out there. And and then you were like, okay, now what? I mean, was that kind of a shock? Did you think it was going to lead to more things than it did? Um, Did it lead to more things? Um, No, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It did not, but (sighs) controversy. Um, (laughs) It's tricky because as a, okay, I'll just speak about my ownership in that experience. Like I made a thing and I, I literally thought, okay, I made a thing. So where's my next thing that somebody's going to give me money for? Mm -hmm. Like, I just pretty much assumed that that was how it was supposed to work. And I was never told any different. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're just kind of working project to project in school and then you're like, now school's done and okay. Yes. (laughs) 
but what should have happened for me and for anybody in that position, your eyes should be on the thing after the thing, even Mm -hmm. as you're, as you're going along, right? Like had I had a feature written of round on both sides at the time that I shot it or shortly thereafter, like definitely before it went out to the festivals. Yeah. I don't know. My situation might be different, but. So you think you should always have the next thing kind of in your pocket because you never know when our opportunity is going to strike type thing. Yes. But also it's not like the opportunity is not going to wait for you to be ready. Yeah. So, so you need to be able to wing it. <laughs> like I've got this thing. Or be, or just actually be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of, you know, that's a lot of pressure on an artist who is basically all things for themselves at that point. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're your own producer, your own publicist, your own writer, your own fundraiser, your own cheerleader, all of that as well. So you have to be all of that for the thing that you just made and then whatever that next thing is. And some people are really brilliant at it and they just instinctively know how to work the room and know how to tell the people what they need to hear in order to open up their checkbooks. Yeah. I, I mean, is that a part of grad school? Do they have any, do they teach you any of that, those skills? None of that. Yeah. I would, I would think, I mean, that's probably not just NYU. It's probably common amongst all of them, but yeah, that's... I think some schools are starting to talk about entrepreneurship as a uh, part of being an artist. Yeah. But when I first started, we had this producing professor, God bless him. <laughs> he was like, so I'm in the producing class. I'm like, cool, he's going to tell me how to get the money. And like, I'm probably like the poorest person in the room. <laughs> like, and he's like, oh, you know, just go to your friends and family and ask them for $1,000 a piece. <laughs> wow. That was the strategy. That was the strategy. And I was, and like me and this one dude, his name was Vincenzo, looked across the room at each other and we were like, <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> I was oh, wow. so mad. I was so mad. <laughs> like, that can't be it. And maybe that is it. And that probably is it. Uh, but wow. like, that didn't, that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. So what was your experience with Spike Lee like? Is it you you ended up working as a production assistant on one of his documentaries, right? About Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina? Oh. Yeah, the When the Levees Broke. Yeah. Or is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what it's called. That was a great experience. Um, first of all, just to see New Orleans um in the aftermath of that storm, it was really life changing. How how long after the actual storm hit did you guys arrived you know he was there he had done over the course of the documentary he did several trips down there and i was a part of the second trip that he made Mm -hmm. so it was about three months after like he went in november and i think the the storm was in august right yeah i think so the thing about being there in november like you would expect that all the damage would kind of be cleaned up and moved out the way and it looked like it had just happened wow the only thing is they had moved the cars out of the way. Like they had, cause all the cars in the city basically got water damaged and flooded. And so eventually they had to take them all and kind of put them in a junkyard. Yeah. Just clear the streets so you can get around. Mm-hmm. So that had happened. That had basically been done. But other than that, like it, it was, it was, it was really something. 
And then to go into some of the homes and see the watermarks that are like 10 feet high. And I don't know how to swim. So I was freaking out. Like, <laughs> like I'd be oh, done. Shit, I, yeah, I'd be dead. <laughs> like, no, no. Like, I don't mean to laugh at other people's pain. Yeah. But like in my head, I was just like, wow, I would have been dead or I would have been on a roof until somebody found me. But mm-hmm. like, I can't swim. Like, what was it? What would I do? We should we should take some swimming lessons together. I'm not too great at it myself. <laughs> I'm really surprised that you don't know how to swim, John Jerko. Really I can surprised. I can survive, but I, I'm not great at it. It's a mix That's of doggy paddling. From Ohio. That's why, because it's not that important in Ohio to know how to That's swim. That's true. There's That's not, there's not a ton people. of water. Yeah, we're landlocked. I mean, there's Lake Erie, but it's a ways out. It's far away. <laughs> it's over now. And we have Mill Creek Park, but like, who really gets yeah, in that yeah. water? Really, like, we just. So what was the experience working with Spike Lee like? I mean, were you close to him while he was doing interviews or what mm-hmm. What exactly were you doing on set? Um, he is really fascinating to watch as a director. He did allow his students to sit in on his interviews um, during that during our trip. Mm-hmm. And I think on all of them, like he's really good about letting you see your process. And the thing that I remember watching him is he's really good at shorthand. So, you know, like I might have a 10, 12 word question and he'll just like throw out like one word. Wow. Literally. And the person will just go off on whatever it is he was looking for them to go off on. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things that you picked up from working with him that you still use today? Well, he was my advisor around on both sides. So he kind of went through my script drafts with me. Um, screenwriting drafts. Mm-hmm. And that probably is the most valuable thing out of working with him or being his student or whatever. Uh, there's a scene in the movie, which I won't give it away, but there's just a moment between the mother and daughter when they get together and says something, the mom says something. Should I just tell people? Cause it's a super old movie and if they haven't seen it's, it. It's up to you. Yeah. If it, if it helps, it helps with the story. Okay. So, so the, the mom shows up, gets the girl, and there's a moment between them where it's like, what are we going to do now? You got me. Now what? Right. Mm-hmm. And so the daughter repeats something that somebody else said about the mom, which is somebody else calls the mom a bitch. So the daughter gets, you know, jumps bad with her and was like, oh, you really are a bitch. And so the mom <laughs> smacks her. Yeah. <laughs> And like that scene was so hard for me to write, like so, so hard. Right. Because to get to that place, like, first of all, I had to get to the place. Like, what could the daughter say that was really going to hurt her feelings? And then I had to get to the place. What would a mom do if her feelings were hurt by her child, Mm -hmm. who she sees as the one person who's always left her no matter what? Yeah. And so I had to like write through that. And he was in that process with me. And the thing about it is he was like, come on, man. Like I had written something that was not good. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, like, really? And I'm like, well, what? Like, uh," you know, and he's like, no, really, what would really happen in this situation that you've created? And I was like, I was like, man, my mom would smack the shit out of me if uh-huh. I said something <laughs> like that to her. And he was like, exactly. And uh, and uh, and then his, you know, um, his advice in that moment, he was like, how do you think Spielberg felt 
making Schindler's List. Of course, that stuff is hard. That subject matter is hard, but you still, it's your job to show it. It's your job to go to that hard place so your audience can really feel what you want them to feel. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I went in and wrote, rewrote it and um, it really changed the movie for me um, and I, and made it better. And so from that experience with him, like just like, even if it's hard, like, like you can't be a punk about your own material, yeah. whatever, you know, like your audience, they can close their eyes, but that's not like your job is to have your eyes open as you're writing and creating again. Do you, do you have a process for putting yourself into the minds of your actors? In the writing process, that's, that's my number one job. I don't know if other people do it like that, but I definitely write as if I'm emotionally going through the thing that my character is going through. Do you know how you put yourself into that place? Do you have any, any kind of habits or little rituals that you do? Or is it kind of just a natural thing that you do while you're writing? Mm, not, I don't really have rituals. I mean, sometimes, sometimes when I'm writing, I will uh, play music that goes with the, the character that I'm writing about. Mm-hmm. But other than that, no. I do think that music helps. Uh, like if I, you know, for example, like there's an older woman in the story. And so for her, like I play like Bobby Womack, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and that kind of like helps a little bit, but other than that, I, I, I don't have like a particular process. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of setting the emotional tone with mm-hmm. music. No, that's mm-hmm. definitely a helpful tip. And then you have to switch, right? Like you have to write for me, like I have to write the draft from one person's per, you know, point of view and then completely switch ways and come at the other person's point of view to try to m- make sure that everyone is given like the beats of their character mm-hmm. are there for them, not for like the story that I'm trying to tell, but yeah. for the actual character's experience. Well, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit to uh, your move to Los Angeles. What brought that about? How long? How long did you stay in New York after you graduated, and yeah, why did you decide to head out to LA? I had my total time in New York. I think was around ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, once I shot around on both sides and sent it out to festivals and stuff like that, I was pretty much done. Like I graduated technically in two thousand nine. And then I moved out to LA in 2011. So like between those two years, it was just kind of just working and uh, trying to keep up with everything, yeah. keep up with life. And nothing was really happening. Like I felt like I was looking at my my friends and we were all kind of doing the same stuff that we had been doing, which is, you know, having a good time in New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to live. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, but then it was like, okay, well, but we all know the same people. We are all doing the same stuff. Yeah. And we are all in the same place in our careers. And I was like, it, I like, that's not really, that doesn't sound cute to me. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that thing with me where I'm like looking around with the, like the environment that I'm in, like, where do I want to go? Like, do I see where I want to go from the place where I am right now? And in that case, even though like I love New York, 
all of that. I really felt like everyone who was still in New York that was my peer was not moving ahead. And you had some that were out in L.A. kind of making progress? Well, it seems like at that point, it seemed like the people who were making progress were in L.A., not necessarily that they were my friends, but yeah, that's where because L.A. is where the business is. I mean, creatively, I think nothing compares to New York City and the, the artists there. But in terms of getting access to gatekeepers and money, the money to actually make new stuff. I felt like that was a lot. There's a lot more of that happening in Los Angeles. And also because of all the things that are going on with TV right now. Yeah, that's true. What what was the kind of your general sense or feeling when you moved out there and kind of out there for a little while? Did you feel like you made the right choice? Did you kind of start to gain any traction right off the bat? No, I didn't gain any traction right off the bat. <laughs> I came out here and I was like, I got all the things. I got the things. And they're like, you want to intern? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no. I, I can't afford to intern. Like, I got student loans. I have, you know, a dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being funny, but... um. <laughs> Uh, besides that, no, this is tricky because on one hand you have to be in it to, to try to win. But then on the other hand, like, I feel like the experience of people who come out here and you probably heard this before, but if you come out to Los Angeles with something while you're hot, Mm -hmm. then it's cool. You can kind of climb the ranks and all that sort of stuff. But if you come out here and and you're not hot, Meaning like you don't have a project that people are super interested in or you didn't just go to, you know, Sundance or South by Southwest or yeah. whoever. It, Los Angeles does not give you a break. <laughs> yeah, you're just another of the millions of people that are out there saying, I want to make films. Yes. And there are millions of people in Los Angeles who want to make films from one direction or another right? yeah. as a producer, actor, you know, writer, director, whatever. And they all think they're hot mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like in their minds <laughs> yeah yeah and it doesn't matter whether or not they went to school and it doesn't matter whether or not their ideas you know um viable or not they just kind of like people just walk around and act like they're hot did you did you do any of that did you try it out <laughs> <laughs> to try that yes are you kidding i am i'm brilliant so <laughs> Like, what like, are you I'm talking about? You want me to be an intern? I, I you should be hired you know to direct this thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, well, do you know who my student loan company is? Like, <laughs> like I have A plus credentials, and like, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was quickly humbled uh, in that regard. Like, I really, it took. I mean, I'm still learning. I feel like, I think you had asked me, part of your question was, or maybe you didn't ask me this. Go ahead either way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, would I I do Los Angeles again? And I think so. I mean, I've learned a lot here. I learned a lot in New York. I learned a lot here. So you put them together. Like, it's like, okay, like I feel like I understand the business in a way that I did not when I was in school. I wish I had learned faster. Yeah. Um, and I still have things that I got to get a handle on, but 
I mean, do you think it's it's possible to learn faster, or do you think it's just more of you know you kind of dealt the cards of where you started from and you know the the programs you went through and the people you know and you kind of got to figure it out that way. I don't know. Do you look back and say I should have done it this way? I would have learned it so much faster. No, I don't think I could have. I don't think I could have. I don't think I could have learned it faster. But I'm also hard-handed, so yeah. <laughs> I needed to experience some things. I think what could make it faster for anybody is if in film school, any film school you're in, they tell you the truth of how hard what it is we do is. Yeah. How hard it is to get put on, how hard it is to get people to believe in you, how hard it is to get people to uh, give you money. And just even uh, from an emotional standpoint, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, extremely tough. It's, it's extreme. Like, but the thing about it is, like, what you get like, for me, the the confidence that I've had to build up within myself, like, like you, you cannot do this if you don't believe in your own vision for whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like, they will eat you alive, and. I've had to, and, and I do think that NYU being at NYU and being, you know, amongst all these people who everybody thinks their, their way is the way and whatever, like you have to get strong in your own vision or you will just drown. Yeah. People will just steamroll you. So that part, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it could have been. I, I think like if someone who's just starting out is listening to this and if they have the ability to learn how to market themselves and, you know, do the whole personal branding thing and do the networking thing and build casual relationships that feel genuine. Yeah. It's it's all really tough. (laughs) It's like genuine. It's, it's hard to bring the sound, you know, the word genuine together with all of this self-promotion thing. Cause I feel like it's easy to make it feel kind of like icky and like, oh man, mm-hmm. I'm gonna like sell myself. Mm-hmm. But you do. I mm-hmm. think I think the other side of it is though, you know, if you start with the marketing completely and forget about the actual quality of the product, <laughs> you know, you get all these people that are into social networking and mm-hmm. you know, put all of all of this stuff out like, oh I'm great, look at me, but they actually can't make anything worthwhile. But do you feel like those people are getting work? I don't know. I mean, sometimes you, I mean, I, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, sometimes maybe, maybe it's the, sometimes I feel like, you know, if I was only like dumb enough to just keep making bad stuff really fast, maybe I would get there quicker, which maybe mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be such a perfectionist, but yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough balance. I think, I think you need to develop both at the same time i'm just i'm just saying be careful of you know focusing too much on the marketing and forgetting about the the filmmaking as well okay so this imaginary person who we're trying to tell how to do it faster and better than we did it i feel like are you gonna are you are you bringing out the lawyer in you No, no, no. I mean, I'm bringing out the rule breaker in me because I'm like, shit, like, honestly, (laughs) I, I think 
I honestly think that it doesn't matter how brilliant you are in this business at this point. If you don't have those things that I just spoke about, if you don't have people who believe in you, if you don't have a bankroll, if you don't have a marketing plan, you're just going to be brilliant on YouTube. Uh And maybe somebody will find you and you'll blow up, you know, go viral or something like that. But again, that comes in the marketing stuff. So yeah, you have to build that network up yourself. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, so that's all I'm really saying. Like I, and I, but I wouldn't have known that. And that's not to say that I am the most brilliant or it, like, this is not, you know, me personally. I'm just saying like, generally speaking, the people who I see who are becoming successful in the landscape as it is right now, cause it's really, really crowded. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are making things and a lot of people are doing this experimentation and trying and doing and trying and doing some more because it's so crowded. Like you, you have to find a way to stand out in this field. And I just don't know how you do that without one or all of those things. Yeah. The marketing money and whatever else. Well, well, bringing that all together, how did you, I I guess, how long since you moved to LA before you put together the project for giving Chris Brown and what kind of network building did you do? Or did you put put any of this marketing to use to kind of bring this project to fruition? Um, I moved here in 2011, so it's been it'll it will be five years by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I shot year I shot it the year before last, so in 2014. Okay, yeah, I think it was on my bike crazy bicycle trip around the time you were shooting. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right. I was like, can you, can you finish that early? <laughs> <laughs> Hurry back. <laughs> like, are you sure you won't be here? Do I need to move the things so you can be here? Uh, yeah. So that was a little less than two years ago now. Okay. So it took you about three years to get the project off the ground and actually shooting it. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I was not, when I had first moved out here, I wasn't that focused on the business. I was more focused on just trying to get myself situated or yeah, whatever. Yeah, figure out how to that, live in LA. <laughs> yeah. I think that took about a year. And then I met a guy at a party or an event or whatever. And he just kind of turned to me and was like, what you got? Like, let's shoot something. And he's like, I have a camera. Let's shoot something. And I was like, Really? okay. And then I'm like, I have this little thing, this little crazy thing that I wrote or whatever. And he's like, I'm down, uh-huh. which was really funny and ironic because like I had just met him like that night. And like from that moment, like he ended up being the lead in the movie and one of the producers. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I told him, because tell you too, like I was just like I don't know if I would have shot that if he if I hadn't met him. I mean, I probably would have shot it eventually, like, it's, but I needed somebody else besides me in that time at that time period in my life. I needed somebody else to believe in it. Yeah, besides me. And so you know, just having that cheerleader, like, let's go, we can make it happen. Ah, you know, and I was like, okay, well, let's figure it out. <clears throat> Do you think you were holding back on shooting something or? Were you, were you kind of consciously working on this project and he just kind of helped light the fire no, a little bit? I was not consciously working on it when <laughs> I met him. I'm serious. Yeah. I, had, I had written it in New York. Okay. Like he was just literally sitting on my computer. I don't know. Like 
LA was hard. It was a hard adjustment to, you know, it was really, it was really, it was an icky ass adjustment. And I'm not even on a front because I literally came here feeling good about myself yeah. and like, and like every turn that I made, folks were trying to make me feel like I didn't matter. My voice didn't matter. My creativity, my past, my education, my, you know, like I wasn't super young and skinny and, you know, with long hair or like all, like all the things that seem to kind of like have a little value uh -huh. as a woman here. Like I wasn't those things. And I'm just speaking about here, like other places, a different type of woman will have options yeah. here. Like fools were like, where do you work out? Do you go to this spin <laughs> wow. studio? And this was like their opening line, like trying to date. And I'm like, like, do I do yoga? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, so it was just like all, all for all these different directions. Like just like you, like people trying to tell you that you're not who you know you are. Wow, that's extremely shallow. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that bad. I don't know what to tell you about that, John Jerko. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you didn't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I don't doubt it, but I, I feel like I hang out with mostly good people, so I. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe but you I hang just... out with people who were from Ohio originally. Yeah, like a lot of them were. <laughs> but yeah, so. I mean, that's that's definitely something I want to get into too, just because uh, I feel like you have, part of your passion is directed towards, you know, helping women in film. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, we could even transition into that right now. I mean, it seems like, I think I, f I found a, hold on, I'm going to pull it up. Oh, I found gosh. a little in infographic. You may have seen this. I think it came out in 2012, so it's been it's a little bit dated now. But it's from the New York Film Academy. They mm -hmm. did this gender inequality in film infographic, which has mm -hmm. tons of information on it. But I'll just kind of pick out a couple of things. So this is just for actors. The average ratio of male actors to female actors is 2.25 to 1. Hmm. Um, roughly a third of female speaking characters are shown in sexually revealing attire partially naked um mm -hmm. and then in just kind of in the industry in general there's a five to one ratio of men working on films to women mm -hmm. um directors only nine percent women writers 15 mm -hmm. percent producers 25 and cinematographers only two mm -hmm. uh so what's i mean you, you kind of touched on it in your last comment but why is there such a disparity still? Do you have any kind of sense of, you know, what is what is kind of keeping it? Is it just the patriarchal nature of Hollywood in general? I mean, I know this is kind of across jobs, but it seems really pronounced in film, especially. Do you have any kind of ideas? I just want to add my favorite statistic that came out of that report mm -hmm. is uh, women of color directors, 1.3%. Oh, wow. For me, like whenever I think of it, I get like angry. But um, <laughs> I don't blame you. You know, like one point three percent. Now is that is that one point three percent of the women, women? No, of the DGA. Okay, is one point three percent women of color. So that's me and three other chicks, and I and I don't. It's not <laughs> even me. Like yeah, yeah. You know, like. I'm not even in that list. Like I don't, I don't make the grade even to be in the DGA yet. 
Yeah, and and those percentages that I read off, they were on the top 250 films of 2012 is what that was based off of. So, so yeah. I mean, it's, so it's atrocious. Like, it's, and, you know, people, some people try to, like, say things, like, you know, about meritocracy and that people just yeah. aren't trained and they're not, you know, all the different excuses that they have. But we are we are out here and we are trying to get things made. We are not given the same opportunities. Do you have any kind of examples from your life or, or people that you know of just like kind of stupid roadblocks that don't make any sense? I mean, the thing is it's, there are a lot of invisible roadblocks, mm-hmm. right? Like the fact that I came to Los Angeles with all the experience that I have, and literally could not get a paid job in film, <laughs> like just not anywhere or mate or like I had one job offer for 35,000 a year working in Malibu as a lawyer mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, and dude was like, take it or leave it. And I'm like, so you want me to use my law degree for your benefit? Yeah. For thirty, like I can't pay my rent yeah, on thirty five thousand. Barely survive here. in LA. <laughs> like I and I couldn't take it. Like I just and he he thought he was doing me a favor, and he probably was. He's a, you know a big guy in the industry or whatever. But I'm like thirty five thousand. Like what? Like I couldn't even I couldn't give a dollar to Sally Mae with a thirty five thousand dollar salary. Yeah. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> So anyway, so I say that to say, like, like these are the invisible things that, that you have to deal with, right? Like, no, I mean, uh, it's it's hard, especially for for a guy to, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of guys could be like, well, I, I don't see it. I don't experience it. So how do I know that there's actually, you know, some kind of roadblocks or discrimination? So it's it's always kind of interesting to get an actual perspective from someone, you know, that's that sees it in action. And maybe that's, but that might be, a, that's the thing though. Like ask those guys, whenever they're, they're saying, Oh, I don't see it. I don't yeah, experience yeah. it. How many times have they hired a woman? Yeah. Themselves. Cause in my experience, when I see my classmates who come out here, even the ones that have no heat behind their name, nothing, they go talk to their little friends go out for drinks. Woo, woo, woo. Next thing you know, they've been pulled into somebody's project and they're working. Uh huh. But the women aren't getting invited to go out for drinks with the boys and the whatever. Like, I'm like, I mean, there've been a few times where I have like forced myself into a conversation. (laughs) I'm like, y'all going out for drinks. I'm coming. Here I come. You're not getting away. (laughs) And and I don't care that I'm the only chick in the room because if that's, if the room is where things are happening, that's where I want to be. Yeah. But, um, besides that, like, besides really, you know, kind of like edging your way into it, like they just, they like to work who they like to work with, which is understandable. Yeah. And they like to work with their friends, which is a bunch of other dudes. And that's, that's the invisible part, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't be mad at them for that. But then at the same time, it's like, you really think none of your female classmates are as, you know, I don't want to say talented. Cause I don't even think it's all about talent, but do you think they're not capable? Yeah. You know, they are because when we were in school, we all worked on each other's stuff. Well, now this is this is like really playing devil's advocate, I guess. But why? So why is it important to have more women filmmakers? I mean, maybe there's just enough out there, and 
Maybe there's not that many trying to be filmmakers. What are we missing? And from your perspective, how would you answer that? Do you want to kill me? <laughs> or, or said no. person that would say that? This is the thing. I feel like it depends on who we're talking about. Like if you're if you're if if I'm meeting someone who is a decision maker at a network, mm. let's say, and they say something like that to me, if I feel like getting into it, what I would say is you're missing out because your audience is 50% women yeah, and they are going to respond well to having someone like me behind the scenes, having a voice that is similar to their own. You're missing out because maybe I tell a different type of story that is interesting and resonates with the audience members in a way that your male filmmakers or directors or whatever just it's not going to resonate the same way because we've all seen and heard their voice a million times. So it's not fresh. It's not as fresh as it once was. And like, there are all these other people and all these other types of stories out there that should be heard and people want to hear. Yeah, definitely. Those are great points. I mean, yeah, we're, we're kind of missing out on 50% of the population's point of view and all that comes with that. And all that comes with that. And I'm not saying like, that means, I don't know. I, I just feel like, I mean, I don't know. I will say this, that last, you know, round of Oscars or whatever. And everyone's like, Oh, well, it, diversity, why should it matter? It's just the best of the best. Like I've heard yeah, people say yeah. that, but the truth of the matter is the most innovative storytelling was not a part of the Oscars. People who pressed the envelope storytelling wise were not being included because they aren't being seen in the same way. Yeah. I mean, do you think a a big part of, especially with Oscars is just that, you know, I don't know. I think something like 70% of the the Academy is old white men (laughs) making the decisions. And and... I think they have a very particular viewpoint on what they consider great. Uh And I, you know, okay, that's cool. Like I learned all of that. I know what you consider great, but I also know that there's a lot of other stuff happening and you, and the Oscars is going to make itself obsolete if it does not catch up with how storytelling is being done. And that storytelling is being done by a lot of different types of people. And it's not just that one way. And it's not just the white dude as the hero mm-hmm. and the conqueror. That's <laughs> not the only story that needs to be told anymore. Yeah. Like we've seen it. We we have John Wayne. We have you know what I mean. Like we've done that. Like <laughs> we don't know. To, we don't need to burn those into the ground anymore. It's not. It's not even interesting yeah, anymore. Yeah. Like it's not as interesting as it once was for the simple fact that we've seen it a million times. Yeah. I mean that's the reason why see soapbox, but like that's the reason why Star Wars was so yeah received so well because it's like huh. There are all these different types of people in this alternate universe who are heroes. Yeah, that's true. And they're all going to have their own types of journey. And it is a beautiful thing. To take it a little bit further, do you, I mean, what, I guess, what can we do to kind of increase the diversity in filmmaking? Is there anything? You can hire me. (laughs) Make sure to have links in the show notes. So everything about it. Make that easy. Hire me as a director, writer, producer. I I'm not picky. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. Anyway, sorry. 
No, I mean, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely hire you. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess just in, in general as a society or as filmmakers, I mean, yeah, do you, do you have any perspective on that? I, I, I hope that people who are in the positions to hire or invest or support that they just take a second to really think about, is there anybody that I'm missing? Is there anybody that I could consider that I, is not my number one guy? Mm-hmm. And I think that's all it would take. Like there are people who are, you know, keeping track of the women or, you know, however you want to define diversity. There are people and organizations that have access to all of these very talented folks who would love to be involved. And it would take a Google search of like two seconds to (laughs) find them. So when people say, oh, they're not out there, they're not whatever, I'm like, hmm. That's just, it's a cop out. Yeah. What do you think about some of the programs? I know you kind of, you've participated in the Women in Film PSA program. And Mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was a short that you produced um, that won the Digital Bolex grant for women cinematographers. What do you Mm -hmm. think about programs like that in terms of helping kind of prop up, you know, the, the people that are overlooked? I just want to applaud you because like two people know about the digital Bolex grant. (laughs) You did your research. Good job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did a little bit. (laughs) I am involved with um, several organizations. One is women in film. I've been a part of the PSA program for the whole time I've been in Los Angeles, um, both as a writer and direct, no, as a, as a producer and director. Mm -hmm. It's a great program. It really gives women an opportunity to fill all the roles on set. And they kind of, they do funding, like they, they fund it. The the labor is not funded, but all of the equipment, food, all that sort of stuff is covered by women in film. Um, And it's really cool. And we've won like Emmys and telly awards and Aurora awards, which are like for commercial commercials. Um, Yeah. You've done some great work. I I actually helped out a little bit on the earthquake one. Yeah. yeah. And we won something for that. I forget what, but yeah, it turned out nicely. And, and, and you feel good because it's, it's always for a good cause. Like that one was, uh, um, earthquake preparedness, mm-hmm. um, which I learned a lot in the process of making it in terms of things you need to have. You got your you water stocked water up. in your yeah. car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I still have my little like earthquake pack in my car. <laughs> I'm not playing with you people. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. You need to, you never know. That's Although true. you don't need it in Ohio. No, not here. Packs. Although I think there was like a very tiny earthquake here today. So that's you never because know. of fracking. Yeah, but that's yeah. another story. <laughs> Save that for the next one. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so that's women in film. They're, they've had some changes or they're making changes to the program right now. They're moving more into uh, social videos. Okay. So, out, so they're not going to be limited to 30 seconds anymore. And they're going to try to do things that are top of mind for women related, uh, causes. So that's like their new push. Yeah. And I'll make sure to link all that stuff. There is, there is a show notes to this. So you'll, uh, you'll be able to go to this episode online on odysseyandmuse.com and 
find all the links to Marquette's stuff and anything else that we talk about. So, yeah. Awesome. And then uh, Femme Fatales, Femme Fatales, which is an amazing organization. It's a peer-to-peer mentoring program um, started by one of my classmates, Leah Meyerhoff. She's a beast. I freaking admire her so much for what she's done for women in film. Like, my goodness. <laughs> she, um, so that is happening. And I'm starting a new podcast for women filmmakers launching mm-hmm. in June, I think. Oh, nice. I can't wait. I know we talked about this a little bit. Didn't know there was going to be an announcement, though. <laughs> I know, because you put the fire under me. You're like, I'm doing this on Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, well, then let me get it together. <laughs> We'll be we'll be waiting for the release. Oh, but it, it's gonna be good. It's yeah. Um, What's the idea? I have, like my first. Um. So. So you see, I like to talk <laughs> about you know, about women in film and the things that you know the challenges that we have as as filmmakers and directors in particular. So, what I'm gonna be doing is interviewing other women directors across the spectrum, um, kind of taking advantage of the network that I've built up at least over the last five or 10 years of just meeting all these phenomenal women who are doing projects that don't necessarily get the same amount of shine as they really should. So doing one-on-one interviews with them about their process and kind of similar to things that we talked about in terms of how you fundraise and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But really focusing on women directors and a little bit on other people's craft, like a couple of cinematographers that are women um, production designer, stuff like that, but just uh, what it's like to be a woman in this business. It's called directing magic. That's the, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> what, what's the title? <laughs> it took a long time. Directing it took magic. a long time for me to come up with a name. Uh, I was like all set on this one thing <laughs> and this word to wise, anybody who's thinking about setting something up. And this is the lawyer in me. So first I'm like, okay, I can, the domain name is there. So I'm good on that regard. Uh And then I went to try to like secure all the rest of the web present stuff and found somebody else who had a Twitter account Uh. with the same name, not exactly the same, but really similar. And she also, yeah. And I was like, God dog it. Like, I really like I almost just kept plowing away, but I'm like, this girl's in the Los Angeles. She gonna come uh, knock on my door and be like, You stole my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I do I do the magic. same thing. I go do domain search and all the social media every time I come up with an idea. That's why I mm-hmm. own way too many domain names. <laughs> oh, you're like me. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like a power account with GoDaddy or something? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do one on one, but yeah, same, same basic idea. <laughs> Wait, who's one on one? What's this? Oh, it's just another domain web hosting service, but they, they have is. less ads and stuff than GoDaddy. So it's a little easier to navigate, I feel like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let me tell you, I signed up for this new thing and I don't know what's going on with GoDaddy right now, but I'm starting to get emails in my personal account. Yeah. I th- that happens with anyone because cool. I, I think people can see when you purchase a domain and it's kind uh, of public. So then, yeah, you, you have an option to make it private, but usually you have to pay like a couple extra bucks. So no one does that. And yeah, you'll get emails from people like, oh, I can do your SEO. I can build your mm-hmm, website, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So yeah, a lot of spam filtering you're going to have to do. <laughs> I am. I don't like it. I'm like, cause I've, cause you, you see it in your personal accounts. So you think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, Oh, someone's emailing me. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's but, um, yeah. So that's that. Oh, that's really that's exciting. I'm, I'm glad you're going for it. And like we mentioned, thank you. If you need any help, let me know. I'll definitely. definitely I, 
I mean, I feel like you were part of my inspiration to do it. Like after we had that, I mean, I was like in the back of my head, I was um, a part of a women in film panel. Actually, I did one this Saturday, but, but what started it was one that I did back in October Mm -hmm. and it was sponsored by Femme Fatales and it was at the Kukularis Film Festival, which is in North Carolina. And up until that point, like I was really media shy, like, yeah. like I didn't, I don't, I don't want to be interviewed. Like that was my stance. Like, nah, just yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and you and I had went through that, like, um, cause you asked me to yeah, pitch yeah, we, and I was we're like, do this about a year ago. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, like real scared. And then. Um, so I got on this panel and the, and the conversation started and I, I had so much to say and so did the other people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are not like, I am not alone. And they're like, we all had this experience and we had different perspectives on how to approach things and all of that. But it was so invigorating. So I came back fired up about women in film, <laughs> like like us as directors and our experiences and all that sort of stuff. And I was already, you know, participating in things. Like I said, like mm-hmm. I've been a part of women in film for a long time. But but that that um, panel discussion just really fired me up. I'm like, we have got to do more and we have got to stick yeah. together. And so I'm glad I'm excited. Yeah. Excited to hear hear what you do. I'll be one of your first listeners for sure. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad. <laughs> that's one. That's good. I got one listener. That's good. That's a good start. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> that's a start. So I, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I do want to ask you just like a few more things about forgiving mm-hmm. Chris Brown and then maybe a couple of wrap up questions and we'll finish from there. But getting back to forgiving Chris Brown, Mm-hmm. What what was the main difference between shooting that film, other than just the aspect that you didn't use film, what was the main difference between shooting that and round on both sides? There were tons of differences. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I had alluded to this earlier, uh, so I won't go too far into it, but like the landscape of filmmaking changed so much mm-hmm. from... 2008, which is when I shot around on both sides to what 2014 when I shot uh, forgiving Chris Brown. Right. Yeah. And so like huge changes, um, digital filmmaking exploded, social media exploded. Um, just the cost of making something really went down dramatically. People were making things on their cell phones that were like Oscar worthy, you know, like, so I really tried to take advantage of as much of that as I possibly could. And I also, I just, at that point, like, I just felt like I needed to make something for myself. Like that felt like, uh, a breath of fresh air for me creatively. Yeah. Like, and I just wanted to have fun and like, just try out different things and really focus on the parts of filmmaking that I enjoyed. Um, and so, and I also, this is my first time trying out a comedy and, um, yeah, you're so serious. (laughs) Funny. No. And that's the other thing, like since I've been here in Los Angeles, like so many people have said, 
you're really funny. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just being honest. <laughs> like, Honesty is funny. It's the best comedy. Apparently. <laughs> I didn't know. So um, so now here I am. So I am like doing this, I did this thing and I didn't I didn't know if anyone was gonna think anything that I thought was funny, it was funny. <laughs> Um, so it was a lot of experimentation with that. And, um, and also being in California, I wanted to take advantage of the landscape here that is completely different from anything else that, um, I had, I think that might be like a thing for me. Like I like the physical environment to tell its own story as well. Most of it's in shot in Joshua tree. I think you might've mentioned Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. is just in the middle of the desert. Yeah. (laughs) Super middle of the desert. (laughs) And then there's a, uh, a scene that is shot on the beach. Okay. So, so that was, so those were the main differences. Like my whole objective was to have a good time, which I know some people may think like I didn't take it seriously. It's not that it's just that I really wanted to experience the joy of filmmaking. Oh, that's kind of myself. great that you made that conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it informed almost every decision that I made in relationship to the piece, like the music and the, the choices and the actors and um, even the subject matter. I mean, it's a dark comedy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to keep it light. What was the attitude on set? Did you, did everyone kind of keep a light attitude as well? I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we had a really small crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, how small is really small? Do you know, number wise off the top of your head, uh, including the actors, I think there's about 17 of us, 16 okay. or 17. And so we rented a house and we had like a couple local people cause, um, local to Joshua tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, every, but for the most part, everyone stayed in the house and, um, and that helped facilitate the fun factor cause it was a nice place. <laughs> Uh, I wish I could remember the name of it so I could shout the lady out. She was so nice. Uh, I can't right now, but maybe you put it in the show okay, notes. Yeah. yeah, if you think about it, email me. Yeah, it was really cute. And like her backyard was the set. Oh, wow. So you guys were close close to indoors yeah. and supplies yeah. and all those good things. And it was, uh, you know, you can go in the kitchen and kind of make your own food and that kind of thing. So people just had a nice time. And everyone had their own bed, you know what I mean? Like, so it was just, it felt good. Uh, it was felt like a nice little weekend. What were, what were some of the challenges, challenges in terms of, I guess, casting and crewing up for this? Because, you know, everything else that you made was kind of within the NYU mm-hmm. Um, network mm-hmm. and groups. So now you're kind of out in LA, you've been there for mm-hmm. a little while, but did you have to really, really do some work searching for people that would be right? Definitely. A couple of people came on board from my women in film shoots. Um, so they, I had worked with them before and then we did a lot of like posting stuff on Craigslist and Mandy and mm. that was like such a crapshoot. Um, <laughs> such a crapshoot. Did you get a lot of response? I mean, did you have to kind of dig through it or was it just, we got a lot of responses, but one, my, whoever shall remain nameless was a little bit of a snob. Uh-huh. And so they're like, Nope, I'm not taking anybody from that school. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Uh, the school name. Oh, but they're offering to work for free. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
but so there was some of that, um, really trying to like sort through like people who were, were they with their background? Like if you recognize any of the projects they had worked on, if you could call somebody to get a reference about them. Mm-hmm. And then also people kept flaking, like we would hire someone and then they were, they'd get a better offer and they drop out. And that yeah, happened that's, that's many, pretty, many times. Pretty normal in LA. I feel like <laughs> everyone's just saying yes to everything. And then yeah, turn everything down whatever. for the best one. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and that's exactly what was going on. And I was just like, uh, I was not familiar with that. Like, that's not how I move, and, yeah. and how I'm, what I'm used to. That was a very LA thing. Like that's like I was like, are you serious? Like, and then I kept having to start over. Like, train the person. Like, the production manager yeah. was a big deal. Like, trying to find somebody, and they would come in and they'd make two phone calls and they quit. <laughs> and then, like, oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's tough, but I mean, I guess I can when when you're actually just trying to survive out there. I guess it makes sense. Like, if something comes up, it's gonna pay you some better money. You're like, huh? Yeah. But then there's I mean, I some that. loyalty long term. I mean, if you do that with every job, you're uh, not gonna make too many friends. <laughs> but I don't think they care because they're always on the level up. Like they're yeah. always looking to level up. Yeah. So for me, like, again, with this whole thing with the L.A. people, like, oh, I don't care where you went to school, what, you know, who do you know here? Uh-huh. And at that point, I didn't have a deep database of, of folks that I could, you know, that would point to me. Like now I think it would be a little different because I've shown what I can do with no money and whatever. Right. Yeah. But um, but at that point, they were like, even the actors. Oh, let me just tell you. <laughs> it was it was such a change from being in new york like as a as a filmmaker in new york like all the actors want to know you and not in like a you know kissy face kind of way but just they respect what you do yeah and here they need writers and directors to be in things (laughs) yes but here they're like I had people, I had a lot of flaking on the actor side of uh, things as well until I got the, the team that I came up with. But even to just come to the audition, like there was one girl that was referred to me, you know, personally by somebody who was a part of the thing. And she was like, mm, no, I don't, I'm not going to come in for an audition. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, wow. Are you kidding me? Like, I took it so personal. It was so bad. <laughs> because I had like done the research and like sent her like a special note and like, here's my script. And I'd really love to talk to you about this project. And I was, I was talking to her about the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on top of that, and just know she was not working on anything at the time. So I really was like, what? Did she, really? did she give you some like feeling that she was going to work on it? And then she just kind of bailed or. No, she She didn't even want to audition. Like that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, that, and, but those were the kinds of things that I dealt with in terms of trying to pull everything together, like finding people who would believe that this was something that they wanted to be a part of just, I guess on faith, like, like all of, like I said, like all the things that I brought to the table just didn't like Mm -hmm. in this atmosphere, which just was not, calculating for somebody to be like that's someone I should try to work with it was weird do you think that really pushed you to kind of grow that side of you that you were talking about in terms of believing in yourself and marketing yourself more because you're you're almost forced to just to get these people to say yes I'll do this Mm, or do you think you already had that no it was because I want 
to be paid to be a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the main thing. <laughs> it wasn't about thin, but it was just like, excuse my maybe perceived arrogance, but I don't, I don't walk into these rooms or into these spaces thinking that anybody is better than me. Yeah. And I kept running into scenarios where people thought they were better than me. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I really kind of did like a deep dive into like what it, what's the algorithm, like what is making this occur? And it really, at least in this particular environment that I'm in here in Los Angeles, is really about these relationships and perceived star meter thing like yeah. you know that stuff on imdb uh -huh. like it's really on that how many people are talking about you how many people are talking about your projects what you know who do i know that cares about you like it's just a big popularity it, game it's a exactly yeah. and it's not about the work uh, yeah see so this is the real dark side of hollywood that everyone always talks about <laughs> i feel like I, yeah. I managed to avoid it but maybe it was just because i wasn't really producing any projects and running into that i mean i just it is i mean it's a dark side but it's the real side yeah. too because yeah, yeah. there's so many people here who want to do what i want to do that they and on, on a certain level like how are they going to be able to tell like they're most folks here are not judging by their own eyes they're judging by like i said you know this whole popularity mm -hmm. algorithm yeah you can watch my movie and think whatever you want to think about it. And that's fine. But if you are not going to watch my movie, unless somebody tells you to watch my movie, then that's where I, I, I have an issue. Yeah. Like, it's like, give it a chance on your, <laughs> on its yeah. own. Uh, so this is just a camera question. Cause I'm more of a camera guy. What's uh, mm -hmm. what did you guys shoot it on? Do you know, Do you we shot it on the Canon C 300. Oh, okay. Nice. Mm -hmm. It's a nice little camera. Yeah, it turned out great. And we, like I said, we had no lights. We had nothing besides <laughs> the camera was, and the sun. Was it all basically day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've seen the trailer, and the, the footage looks great. Um, are, are there any screenings coming up in the near future that people could check out? Anything slated? Yes, we are slated to screen um, at the Rainier um, Independent Film Festival, which is in Washington, outside of Seattle. And then the High Desert Film Festival, which is outside of Las Vegas, also in May. We just had two screenings here in LA, but it's neither here nor there now. And then another one in Los Angeles in August or September, which that one is going to be the Holly Shorts Film Festival. Okay. Yeah, I'll make sure to link all those in show notes as well. So just one more one more aspect of forgiving Chris Brown that I want to talk about. I remember I think in our last phone call we kind of talked about how you kind of found new I don't know what the right word belief or like usefulness in the festival circuit. I don't know if mm. you were almost at the yes. point of kind of you know just trying mm -hmm. to go the new social media route with YouTube mm -hmm. and all this other stuff that's out there. But it's it sounded like you actually found a lot of value in in the festival mm -hmm. circuit. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and uh, what it, why it's still worth doing. I was really jaded about the film festival circuit after um, round on both sides, but for the top five or six short film festivals that are out there, I didn't really see the value in it. And so this piece, like I was making it as a web short 
we finished it and my whoever talked me into trying out the festivals. But I really was like, I'm just going to put it on the web and like, who cares? Right. Cause mm-hmm. I'm all, I was really on some all about the joy of the thing and whatever. So, but what I discovered this time around, people believe what they see. This is, it, it's, you know, there's a theme to all the stuff that we're talking about today, which is that because there's so many people making content mm-hmm. to me, it seems like the value of these festivals is kind of like each one is another stamp of approval and each one kind of gives your project just a little bit more validity to the average person. Yeah. So like when people do see it on YouTube at some point, it has all the little laurels with the, Mm -hmm. you know, different film festivals. It actually does have some Mm -hmm. value. And that makes them more interested Mm -hmm. in watching it online if that's what they want to do. And, and in terms of the social media, piece of it, which, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of social media, but it brings more, just being able to talk about the festivals on social media creates more value and perceived value within the social media sphere. Yeah. It feels, it's not, it feels like you have something more important to talk about other than just like, Oh, look at, look at a clip that I'm editing today of this. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, you know, like each each festival, there's a little bit of activity that, you know, on social media that's created. Like for me, like I, I do, you know, uh, event announcements and whoever I know locally, I invite them, whether or not they come, like it's, I mean, I would like them to come, but if they don't come, it's not a big deal. It's just kind of creating more awareness and that's all on social media, but the social media basically gets revolves around the event. So that's what the festivals are giving me. They're giving me like a new opportunity to talk about the movie and it keeps the movie on top of mind for the audience, wherever they are. So, I mean, like I've been talking about forgiving Chris Brown since last September. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm like, hey, and another festival and another festival and people are really starting to pay attention. And in a way that they probably wouldn't have. Like I really thought that I was going to be able to just make the thing and put it up on the web and people would come watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like you said though, there's so much stuff out there. Even, I mean, there's, exactly. even if you just go on Vimeo and look at the staff pics, you're like, look at all this amazing stuff that's, that, mm-hmm. you know, all these people are making. It's how do you get, how do you kind of cut through all the noise? Exactly. <laughs> And it's getting harder and harder to cut through all the noise online. Um, it doesn't even matter what your niche is. Like every niche is getting crowded. So, but that, so that was, that was something new for me. And also social media is very visual, mm-hmm. whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Like if I post a Laurel or if I post some red carpet photos of my actors or my people, you know, I, I may sound a little jaded, but they think you're doing something because yeah. they, you know, they see the thing like, oh, they look cute. Oh, they were at the event. Oh, you know, and it just creates more. It just brings more attention to the project. Yeah, it makes, and more I mean, people it makes sense. It. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there is so much stuff in your feed that you need some way to stand out, and I guess it's kind of an interesting way to. I never really thought of it from that perspective. But how, how important is it to pick the right festivals for your film and how do you go about it? Because I feel like there are so many festivals out there. It's mm-hmm. like, how do you even know where to start? Because if you just send it to, you know, just a random mm-hmm. blast, 
They're, uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them are very niche or niche <laughs> in terms of their subject matter that they promote. So, I mean, how, how do you go about it? How do you kind of, do you have help? <laughs> I I don't have help, um, but I am a freaking beast. So <laughs> I have a whole like uh, process. You have a that spreadsheet that you got. <laughs> yes. Oh, my spreadsheet game is tight. Nice. <laughs> But but it depends. It depends on your project. It depends on your goals. That's really the answer to the question. Um, To give you an example, I feel like, like, again, like there's a a handful of festivals that will change your life. Like, that's how I started it. Like, what will change my life? Yeah. So you definitely want to pick some of those, like, you know. And Sundance not just pick those. By. You want like you want like your first round of festival yeah. needs to be those, in my opinion. If you think you have a shot at well, it. maybe talk about rounds. I mean, is there you kind of go through because some of the festivals actually you have to be the world premiere or the, pre, you know, mm-hmm. the premiere in the, mm-hmm. in the U.S. or something like that. So I guess that does matter. So for well, the first round for me again like life changing. But broader than that, like there's a whole set of them that are considered Oscar qualifying. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you have a shot, you should submit to all of those as well. And any of those could, could make a difference somewhat. Beyond that, uh, for me, what I did was I submitted to those and then got a little bit of activity around that. And then I picked places that I wanted to be Uh for various reasons. Like if I have an audience base in a certain area, like I have a strong audience base in New York and Los Angeles. So I knew that I wanted to screen in those two places. That makes sense. Um, And I also have an audience base in Ohio and wanted to screen there as well, which that hasn't happened, but mm, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Ohio. Uh, I know, like, really? Like, I, I, I applied to all the festivals in Ohio that I could find. I think I have one more. And then after that, like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, whatever. Um, so, that's that. But so I picked places where I have audience space where I knew people would be excited and they would come out. And then I picked just other little things that were important to me. And every filmmaker that might be different. Like, if you have a hometown, you should try to screen there. Mm-hmm. And you should be thinking about your next project, like somewhere you want to go on vacation, pick a, <laughs> or for me, like too, like I was like, well, do I want to stay in LA forever? Maybe yeah. I want to check out Portland or Seattle or wherever, you know what I mean? Like what's my next stop going to be? Or do I just want to see the filmmaking scene is, is like in this place. And then I discovered too, which is odd, <laughs> But it seems like film festivals that are in places that look like my movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Want to screen my movie. Uh-huh. So the High Desert Film Festival and Nevada City Film Festival and the Rainier Film Festival, which are all super duper beautiful, natural yeah. environments. Yeah, maybe it's just a, a bias in the judges that they don't even realize. They're just like, oh, this looks kind of like where I'm from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Good way yeah. to target it. Um, so, you're, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You have to target for what your goals are. Do you, ha- do you have, like, a budget in mind? of Because I feel like you can go, you know, you can spend you can a ton so of money. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
The other thing that I would say, and again, it depends on your film and what you think you can do. I don't personally like going, submitting my film to festivals that haven't established themselves. Mm -hmm. So a, a number of years out, like they've been doing it for a number of years. Yeah. Do you have like a minimum in, in mind or? I do. Like, it's like no shade for the newbies, but I just like, I can't stand disorganizations. Yeah. <laughs> it just drives <laughs> me You got to work the bugs out first. Um, and so for me, that's around eight to 10 years okay. at least. And that does limit me somewhat, you know, like here in LA, like we were approached by a film festival that's only been around for two years. And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, I can't do it. Yeah. Like, it just, you know, I'm a very detail oriented person and that sort of disorganization like drives me mad. Like, yeah, I mean, you only have so much time too. And if you're going to dedicate it to something that, I mean, if mm -hmm. it's only been around a year or two, then it's probably not going to get a lot of respect from community it's proven itself but see that's the thing that's that's not necessarily true okay. like in some cases that is true but say for example and this is not the case but say for example santa barbara is just starting their first film festival yeah. but they're gonna have a ton of community support around bringing film to santa barbara right that's true and so because of that like as long as they have the budget which santa barbara probably would have the budget because it's Santa Barbara and like people have money there, you're going to have people coming in who maybe are industry related, but their second house or they're, you know, away from it all houses over there. And yeah. the whole like community is going to come around and support this film festival that's local. And then even though it's new, like it's still going to have interesting people there to see your movie. Yeah. But I mean, that's Santa Barbara. I mean, what if it's like, you know, Brook well, Brookfield, saying. Ohio high school. <laughs> That, listen, <laughs> but uh, if you want to shoot in Brookville, Ohio, yeah, eventually yeah. it's worth it to, to screen there, even if it's only a two-year-old yeah. film festival. Yeah, if it's a part of your community, then it makes sense. Or so. part of your long-term plan. True. Yeah, if you, <laughs> I don't know if you would want have that goal, but nah, nothing, yeah, nothing yeah, against yeah, Brookfield. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. living here, so. <laughs> but uh, like, yeah. So I mean, but that's what I mean by it. Just depends on what your situation is okay you, uh, so you get into a film festival do you normally mm -hmm. try to go to the event for the screening i mean is is there some networking networking that's worth doing there i mean what's kind of your strategy i'm giving you all the inside <laughs> strategy right now <laughs> i'm curious yeah. i but again like i am a beast like i mean i really am <laughs> <laughs> Like when you think about these things, I have thought about all of these things. <laughs> so, okay. So the strategy, so it depends on the film festival, but I always think it's great to network. Yeah. Like as a filmmaker, I don't know if you've ever seen this article called the 10,000 fans. Oh, Are you familiar it sounds with that? familiar, but I don't, I don't, I can't think of the specific article. Yeah, it's like it's basically like a theory that every independent filmmaker should try to get 10,000 fans. If you have 10,000 solid diehard fans, like you can make movies the rest of your life because yeah. um, they'll buy everything you do and they'll, that's enough to support you. Right. Mm -hmm. So and you just have to keep making stuff for them to support. So that's the general idea. But in order to get those 10,000 fans and I think in this market, 
in the world that we live in right now, like you have to be, uh, you have to have the personal connection, not have to, but it helps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so particularly as like, you know, as like a not, you know, Sundance filmmaker yet or whatever, like you just grinding the pavement and kissing babies and that's, <laughs> you know, that's what your job is. So you go to these festivals, so you're meeting other filmmakers and you're meeting programmers and you're meeting audience members. And eventually one day, if you're lucky, like all of that is going to come back to you, like all that support that you've kind of planted seeds for by going to these different events, they're going to come to your aid. Either somebody's going to, you know, participate in marketing your movie by sharing it with their friends, or they're going to tell their friends to go watch it, or they're going to uh, donate to your crowdfunding campaign or yeah. So you're you kind know. of working to build toward this critical mass that yeah takes over on its own at some point. If you can afford it, I think you should always go to your screenings, yeah. which it does get expensive and I cannot afford to go to everyone, but <laughs> I try to try to get um, to the bigger ones and the ones that are close for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really and truly like everyone that I can get to, I'm going to. <laughs> I mean, it's kind and of just though, neat to see your film get screened. I mean, just as, a, you know, the most basic thing is. <laughs> the thing that's different this time around, too, is because there's so many more film festivals than there used to be. Yeah. And there are like 10 times as many films as there used to be. So mm. all of it is crowded, right? Like you're you're luckier now to get into a film festival than you used to be. Yeah. And so it is a privilege, you know, to be in that position. All right. I, I honestly only have just a couple more like easy questions. So, <laughs> going, you're so going way like, over. I feel like you're like, uh, like my, my trainer, like just 10 more, 10 All right, more. We're almost there, Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> just some, just some easy fun ones. Do you, what would, what would you say is your biggest influence in terms of filmmaking? I don't know if it's a director or writer or, you know, are there any filmmakers that kind of influence the way you think about film? I really like Fellini mm -hmm. um, and I really like Wes Anderson. What for? Which they're very different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are quite different. What are, what are the reasons? Uh, Do you have anything in particular for each? Well, I, I, I like realism um, as a part of the story and I like working class stories, yeah. you know, about regular people. Um, so that's a Fellini influence. And then Wes Anderson, like he just does pretty stuff. And I really, really like pretty visuals. I mean, it's, it may actually hinder me. Like I've been criticized for making things that don't reflect the story. Like, like that's too pretty yeah. like, for something to be so dark. Like, cause I have a dark aesthetic in terms of the writing uh -huh. and subject matter, but then I want it to be beautiful cause yeah. I like looking at pretty stuff. Yeah, and it's, a, I mean, it's a movie. It's supposed to be pretty to an extent, you know? It could be a dark pretty. <laughs> right, which I need to work more on the dark pretty, yeah. which is really the yeah. criticism that I got from professors, you know, whatever. Do you have any, I don't know if it'd be from these directors, but are there any, like, if, if someone had to watch one film, documentary or narrative, is there anything that kind of maybe seen recently that caught your eye or something that is just, you know, you've loved your whole life? Okay, I have two answers to that. First of all, I am like a humongous um, action film person. <laughs> That's right. You have told me this. 
And so I'm not see all the Bond movies. Like, yes, <laughs> all the Bond movies, all the movies from the '80s, all the Schwarzenegger movies, which are terrible but still good. Like, no, 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 I'm not gonna do that to you. Uh, <laughs> or all the John Woo movies. Definitely, you should watch all of those, especially the ones that. Um, yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. Um, what I saw last year that I just love, love, love was Tangerine, which is a movie that was shot in, uh, on the iPhone. It's about these two transgendered women. Um, that movie was so great. Like, that is my inspiration for 2016. Like, it was probably shot for $2. Oh, wow. And I just enjoyed it immensely. I do not Granted, think I've seen that. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's probably on Netflix. I think it is on okay. Netflix right now streaming. The first 15 minutes are probably going to get on your nerves because <laughs> they're so extra. Yeah. But after that, like it really settles into some interesting stuff and I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the, the way that he settled into like some really quiet storytelling by the end. I enjoy the last scene, so like he earned it, and I just bravo. Great, yeah, that's that's a new one for me. I'm kind of excited to check that out now. Just keep in mind, the first fifteen minutes will probably <laughs> irk you. Gotta get through the first like, fifty. Yes, it's worth it. Because <laughs> they're like, "Oh, bitch, this." Oh, that. and I'm just like, "Who?" <laughs> it's like cat fight at the beginning <laughs> yes yes that's exactly what it is in the beginning so just keep that in mind and then get through that and then it's great awesome <laughs> do you have any favorite books because i'm kind of i love reading i don't know if it, it could either be non-fiction or fiction i don't know is there anything that you've read recently it's worth checking out that i that i really enjoy yeah. um completely separate from filmmaking i think that data isms is worth everyone should read that data data like d-a-t-a mm -hmm. i'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist i think that the <laughs> machines are going to take over our lives and we should at least know that it's happening mm. machines and algorithms it's Sounds just going to change our whole entire world it is already yeah, happening yeah people i mean even just with our phones and how attached we are to them i mean kind of crazy and they're keeping data on every move that you make on your phone that too yeah like i don't know like do you have an iphone i do i do have an iphone do you know that keep, it it keeps track of your steps even though you don't ask it to it does yeah I, I didn't even know it was doing that until one of my friend was friends was like oh we walked 12 miles or something and i was like how do you know yes. that <laughs> exactly same thing happened Tracking to me I mean, not the friend or 12 miles part but the one day i just discovered it part <laughs> Yeah, which I mean, not to get too much into this, but the whole, you know, Apple and FBI wanting them to, to create a back mm -hmm. door. I mean, with all the, I mean, they have data on everything. So, yeah. On everything. Like, it's really freaky to me. And, um, and we should care. Yeah. I mean, we as like the general public, we should care more than we care. People don't care nearly enough. Yeah, because before you know, we're going to be putting chips in our heads and then, you know, people are going to be hacking into us. <laughs> <laughs> like i need to see what's happening over on that block where she is let me just hack into her head right yeah. quick and use her her eyes as my you know as my camera oh wow mm -hmm. that would be creepy we could, we could do another podcast sometime on conspiracy <laughs> theories <laughs> and i could go all day on that <laughs> i love that i didn't know this about you <laughs>
Sorry. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. That's it for me. So to wrap it up, where can mm-hmm. where can people find you online? And well, before you even say that, maybe give a quick. I don't think we did this yet. Give a quick plot uh, description of Forgiving Chris Brown, and uh, I'll make sure to link up where those new screen next screenings are going to be. But just so people know when it comes out. Um, forgiving Chris Brown is a dark comedy about uh, forgiving trifling as boyfriends or not. It's a revenge plot. It's all fun and it's all fun and games until somebody, you know, <laughs> <laughs> until something goes that, wrong. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's forgiving Chris Brown, which is funny because he's in the news again today. Oh, <laughs> he just, he just keeps making me relevant. I appreciate him. Yeah, for that. that helps with your stats, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> more views. No. <laughs> so where, where can yeah. people find you online? I know you have a website. I don't know. You do some Twittering. Uh, I am on Twitter at Marquette Jones, uh, Marquette underscore Jones. Um, forgiving Chris Brown is there too. Uh, forgiving underscore Chris. Um, you could definitely find me or the film on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, which is Marquette Jones filmmaker. And then forgiving Chris Brown is at forgiving Chris Brown, you know, Facebook, yeah, yeah. Chris Brown. And then you have a production a website for your production company, right? Hot Combs. Yes, Hot which Combs is Pictures. Hot Comb Pictures. And that you can you can get to that by hotcombpictures.com or hotcombpics.com. And that's pretty much that's the online presence. Oh, and and shout out to the new podcast, which you can find at directingmagic.com if you want to sign up, pre-order for the first Ooh, episodes. Man, you are on top I, of this stuff. I when, see. We need Thank to talk you. more about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm totally ready. Um, uh, yeah, so directingmagic.com. Cool. I will definitely check that out. And do you have any closing advice or anything? You Any final words? maybe some new filmmakers out there, people that are just kind of getting started on this crazy journey? Have a plan and work your plan, like, and and keep making stuff. Like, don't wait. More than anything, keep making stuff. I don't, like, I've complained or whatever about not getting money for things, but that is not, that is absolutely no reason not to make things in this day and age. I literally gave you an example of somebody who made a movie that went to Sundance on their iPhone. Yeah. So no excuses, no, excu- <laughs> no excuses, make your movie, tell your story. Don't think that no one's going to want to see it. It doesn't even matter because as soon as you make it, people are going to come and people are going to relate to the story that you're trying to tell. Great advice. Thank you so much, Marquette. This is really, really <laughs> great. And I've been looking forward to it for like over a year. So <laughs> I'm glad we finally made it happen. <laughs> I'm glad I got over my stage fright. (laughs) Thank you so much, John. This was a pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Marquette. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can follow me, John Jerko, at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram, and find out more about Odyssey and News, including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandnews.com. We now have a separate Odyssey and News Instagram feed where we'll be posting audio teasers for each episode, along with photos from our guests. On the website, I'm including three to five takeaways for each episode, so you can get some value out of what we covered at a glance. Remember, you can find us on all of your favorite platforms like SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Folks, we spend hours every week preparing for the show, editing interviews, and putting together bonus content for you to enjoy. 
If you like what we're doing, we would love your support. You can now donate a small amount to us one time or monthly by going to the website and clicking donate. Even a couple dollars goes a long way. You can pay for a coffee that keeps us sane for the week or keep our web hosting bills paid up. Most importantly, please take a couple of minutes to go to iTunes to subscribe and rate the show. It's the only way the show gets noticed in this world of never-ending content. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, follow your true north.